guys. I'm about to pass out. There's uh, no air in here. Ta-da! <laughs> you must be Pete. Merry Christmas! It's Kevin Bacon. He's not a loser. He's great. We don't hate him at all. What'd you do? What? What did you do? We got you Kevin Bacon as a present? You got me a human being as a present. What better gift for the guy who has everything than an actual human living person? This isn't a Christmas gift. This, this is... This is human trafficking! Yes. It was mostly Drax's idea. <laughs> it was. Hey, Pete, I gotta stick up for these guys because, to tell you the truth, I am totally stoked about the whole thing, man. You used your powers on him, didn't you? Maybe. I can't remember. Get Kevin Bacon out of the trance now! Just be what you really are. Dude, calm down. We're not gonna hurt you. That's a talking raccoon. I'll kill you! Don't ever call hey. me that! Whoa! Craglin, prepare the Bowie for his transport back to Earth. I kept. Mr. Bacon, I am so sorry. This is really embarrassing. I know you're worried sick, and your family is too. We're gonna get you back home immediately. I am Groot. Oh, suddenly you thought it was a bad idea all along. I am Groot. Dude, I literally just saw you wheel him out in front of everybody. I'm gonna let you go, Kevin Bacon. Don't run. You're not gonna run. <laughs> go get Kevin Bacon. I've got him. Don't, don't kill him. Cannot run me, Bacon! Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, welcoming a new guest. And this is a, kind of a unique one because we have someone who has actually worked on some of the superhero films that we talk about and we love watching, and that is Rick Ives. Rick, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Perry. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I was really excited to to get your message. And um, even though it's March or April, March, when this episode's coming out, we're going to be <laughs> going back to Christmas time a little bit here when we get into yeah. the discussion. Um, and why is be- that, Perry? Why is that? Why is that? Uh, just because I am very bad at planning stuff. And I mean, you no, said- I mean, why are we doing a Christmas episode right now? Because, you know, you asked if we could do the Christmas episode, so I thought, okay, let's go for it. Let's do it. And you also worked on it as well. And um, Yeah, that's we'll the talk- good reason why. That's the good reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, Rick, uh, before we jump too much into talking about the, the movie or the special, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So my name is Rick Ives. Hey, everybody listening. Uh, nice to meet you. And nice to meet you, Perry. You too. Um, I've been working in the industry for 12-ish years. Um, I work in post-production, so I'm an assistant editor at the moment. I've also done dailies. I've worked on set in visual effects department. I've done a bunch of different stuff. Um, For the last six years, I've been working for Marvel Studios almost exclusively. I'm still a freelance contractor, but I know enough people now there that, you know, I just kind of roll on to the next one whenever I'm finished. Um, So I've worked on... The very first one was Thor Ragnarok. That one was on set. And then I went to Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. That was in post-production. Um, and then I was kind of off Marvel for a little bit and then ended up becoming an, an assistant editor when Disney Plus 
shows started. So I can't, honestly, I can't even remember them anymore, but Loki, Falcon, Winter Soldier, Miss Marvel, some Hawkeye in there. Uh, I think that's it for stuff that's been released already. And then a couple more. Well, also <laughs> today we were <laughs> talking about the special. holiday special as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and not MCU related, but also Disney Plus related. It says you were a system daily system engineer on The Mandalorian as well. So that's funny. I worked on The Mandalorian. Uh, we were doing dailies where I live in Georgia. We ended up sending our gear to LA where they shot season one. And I was on like three or four phone calls to help support that. And mm-hmm. that was it. I very okay. rarely get credit for anything that small. Uh, when it came out, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. I was watching the credits looking for my friends and I saw my name and I went, what? hold on a second. Yo, I got a Star Wars credit. This is amazing. I started texting people. How am I on this? He said, oh, yeah, we did a little favor for you. And I said, no, thank you so much. That's incredible. Um, so I did very little work on that one. And somehow got a credit, but I hold it very proudly. The opposite has happened for me where I've done so much work on a project and then no credit for that one. <laughs> uh, so mostly you do um, you do editing work then, it looks like? So the editor is the one who like puts the puzzle all together. They're the artiste in the room, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But they have a whole staff that supports them. So they'll have a first assistant, sometimes two first assistants, and a couple second assistants. Um, they'll have an apprentice. We'll have PAs. That's a production assistant. And right now I'm sitting very comfortably in the second assistant role. So mm-hmm. I work a lot with um, dailies. That's what they shoot um, right out of the camera. So most of what I do is look at the footage they shot yesterday. We mm-hmm. go through and make sure everything is there. Nothing's missing. It's all named right. Um, we do some stuff if they shoot in slow motion. We do some stuff with the script. Um, make sure everything's really ready so that when the editor sits in the chair, they know where everything is. They know nothing's missing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very easy to find what they're looking for at the push of a button. So, so that's um, my job right I'm, now. and I'm guessing because, you know, you're doing the the dailies, then you're seeing the the raw footage, the stuff that's all still with the green screen, no effect. So yeah, how, totally. how kind of, how surreal, <laughs> yeah. So how surreal is it when, when you're watching one of these things on TV or in the theater and you're seeing all the finished effects compared with your memory of it? Yeah, I've been, I've been working in this industry long enough now that it's not really shocking because you know what you're going to see at the end, like you're envisioning it when they're Mm. looking outside a spaceship window or, you know, when people are doing the funniest, I tell you what, the funniest thing to watch of all of it is the Dr. Strange and all the magic people doing their magical spells. (laughs) (laughs) Waving their hands around. Without any magic (laughs) happening. Yeah. It's hilarious. And they have uh, choreographers like dance choreographers that help Mm. them figure out almost a language with their fingers and their hands for what spell is what. And they're all choreographed. So they know what they're doing. It's not random. And when you see a whole group of people doing, doing that together, it's so funny, but you know, in your mind, this is going to look fantastic when it's done. Mm -hmm. It's just not yet. Yeah. That was one of the things that was really, uh, you know, I'm, it's funny. Every time I think like I know all the magic of filmmaking is kind of dispelled. There's something I learned that, you know, still kind of like I never even realized that. And I think Brie Larson was doing an interview when she talked about like dealing with like the gesture coach of like how to fire. I'm like, 
what they actually have coaches do that like, i oh, thought yeah. it was wild i i couldn't even believe that but it makes sense right you want to get to look a certain way you want to make sure it doesn't look like just people throwing their arms around randomly, randomly. yeah waving yeah. around yeah mm-hmm. that'd be terrible and also you know the mcu is unique in that it's telling a story over what are we at like 10 years now more than like that yeah a long, long time and they want the kind of continuity to match you know mm-hmm. so Doctor Strange doing magic should look different than Loki doing magic. You know right. what I mean? And you and want it to they, be consistent from film to film. Like you don't want yeah, him so they have you thought know, about that. waving like this way <laughs> and then doing it completely different in the next movie. Right, right. It's the same with how people fight. It's the same with how their weapons work or how they fly mm-hmm. ships. You know, all that stuff gets decided. It's crazy how much, you know, work and effort, talent go into each, like even the smallest details. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's what makes it unique, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so overall, what what's it kind of been like working with Marvel? Is it um, you enjoy working there? Do you enjoy um, doing all that? Doing like seems like you've got no shortage of work with doing with them. Yeah, thankfully they keep coming down to here where I live, which is in Georgia. I think I mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it in Marvel. I was a fan before I started working on this stuff, uh, and I'm still a fan. And I go watch every movie before you know when it comes out, and I'm there. For even the shows I work on, you know, the day it mm-hmm. comes out, <laughs> uh, I told them I'm here until you kick me, kick me out the door screaming because I love <laughs> this stuff. Um, like any job, it could get tedious and boring, mm-hmm. especially when your your job is sitting at a computer pushing buttons. But even on the times I was working nights at like 2 a.m. by myself in an office, I'm th- like, yeah, but look at this. Look what's on my screen mm-hmm. right now. Everybody wants to know what this is. And when this comes out, it's going to be worldwide and people I haven't seen since high school are going to watch this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I just pinch myself. People would kill for this job. So I hang on real tight. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, so that sounds like none of the magic has gone out of it. Like you still like fanboy out about this stuff when you get to see oh, it. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. And you know what? A lot of us do, especially when we're like going over scripts for the first time on a new show or something. Oh, did you see, did you read this page yet? Oh, you know, we're kind of watching it the same way everyone else will be watching it 18 mm. months from now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you're also uh, a filmmaker yourself and um, you just came out with your own uh, indie film. It, it said you, you mentioned here. Why don't you tell people a little bit about that? Yeah, thank you. That's what I'm trying to get out there because everyone knows about the Marvel stuff, but mm. I've been editing, you know, I want to be an editor. Um, it's a long road to get there. Part of it is you have to have proved that you can edit you know, to let them, Mm -hmm. so they'll let you do that kind of stuff. So in my spare time, I edit indie features and I've been working with these guys out in California for a number of years. Um, I've cut four, I think, features for them at this point. And, you know, independent budget, low budget stuff, Mm -hmm. which has done pretty well. And uh, at one point I was like, you know what? I kind of want to do one of these because they're doing it. Why can't I? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I started writing scripts because I wanted to be a better editor, you know, understand why scenes go where they do and what makes a good character and what makes Mm. a good scene. And, you know, how do you keep motivation and how do you keep momentum going? All that stuff. And so I had started writing scripts kind of for fun. And then I had one that I liked and I pitched it to these guys that I had been editing for. Like, hey, can we do one with me? Mm -hmm. Why not? And they liked the idea. They liked the script and they helped me produce it. And now it's out for everyone to see. And we're so proud of what we turned out. So it's called Solid Rock Trust. 
it's a bank heist movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a twist. So this is a bank heist movie that takes place in a single room, but mm-hmm. the room is not in a bank and there's no other characters except for the one that we're watching. And uh, her name's Maddie. And this, the hook is she's controlling what's happening in the bank because she's got a whole bunch of cell phones on the desk in front of her. And she's mm-hmm. talking to all the different people who are you know, doing her tasks. And she also does all these different accents and languages. So all the people she's talking to don't know they're talking to a single person. They think oh. like it's a whole team. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything that happens in a bank heist still happens. So we've got mm-hmm. gunfights and double crossings and lots of surprises, some twists, some turns. Um, but we only watch it from her perspective. So she's like the woman in the chair controlling all this. And we get to know everyone and everything that's happening just based on what she's hearing. Wow. And so um, far, it's been really well received. Everyone who's watched it really likes it. I don't think, uh, did you mention the name of it? Yeah, I did. It's called Solid Rock Trust. Solid Rock Trust, okay. Yep. It's really unique spin on how to do an indie movie. And uh, I know it's a tough sell. It was like pretty much every step of the way. How do you do a movie with one person in a room mm-hmm. sitting at a desk? And I tell you what, it never lets up. Something changes <laughs> every couple minutes and keeps you guessing. And there's a lot of things going on. And it challenges you to try to keep up with it, I think. So. Mm-hmm. Now you sent me the the link to the trailer, which we'll have uh, we'll have on the website um, uh, for people to check in the in the show oh, notes. Thank you. But, yeah, um, but why don't you tell people really quickly where they can find the 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 movie? So right now in America, at least, it's free on Tubi. If you're anywhere else in the world or in America, you can still rent it on Amazon. You can rent it on mm-hmm. Google Play and YouTube Movies. Mm-hmm. And in June, it'll be on YouTube for free. So it'll getting a little release there too and then it will be on more platforms as we go forward my distribution company kind of rolls out you know a certain way so at some point it'll be on roku channels and um i don't know plex you know all the Mm. different spots um hopefully amazon prime at some point and Mm -hmm. you can watch it now just type in solid rock trust Tubi, and you'll find it like immediately so. Okay. And uh, if you're like me and not living in America, I'm in Japan, then you can also oh, just use uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can also just use a VPN to access uh, Tubi as well, which I've done on occasion. Yeah, that's right. If you guys <laughs> watch it, leave me a review somewhere on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes and let me know what you think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we'll have those links in the show notes as well. Now, now me being a writer, I just kind of want to talk a little bit of shop about this. So yeah, one it. of the interesting things about me as a writer is one of the most enlightening things was um, starting to work as a letterer in comic books. And it gave me a, mm-hmm. and, and now starting to do some, some artwork, it gave me a better understanding of how to write comic book scripts. Um, now you being an editor and then breaking off into writing, how did, you know, the, your, the skills you learned from editing, did that have any sort of influence at all uh, on the way you think when you're writing your screenplays? Oh yeah, totally. Um, I think a lot about transitions like, how does this scene end? And then how do we get into the next one in an exciting way? A lot of mm-hmm. times a scene will just kind of end. And then, you know, three weeks later or whenever they shot the next scene and there wasn't a lot of thought put into like, how is this going to flow? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot about that. I think a lot about what's, what are we coming out of? Like, what was the emotion of the scene before? And then what are we going into next? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you what, though, I feel like I've had an amazing education just working on Marvel for so long because mm-hmm. 
we read those scripts and you can see what a really good script looks like, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, a lot of indie movies, I think slip into this habit or pitfall of having long scenes of dialogue mm-hmm. where nothing's happening. And it's like, dude, this scene, I could see it right now. You chop this part off the beginning, you chop this part off the end. It could be half the length, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried really hard to avoid doing anything like that. That being said, I know I'm pitching you a movie that is all dialogue in a room. (laughs) (laughs) But the idea was that even though that's what it is, something is still changing. In fact, part of the hook is she has a clock on her desk that she has to reset every two minutes because her phone calls are not allowed to be longer than two minutes. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of on purpose to like, I don't know, make something, you know, a ticking clock in the movie is always exciting. But Mm -hmm. it was also an exercise for me that I'm not allowed to write anything scenes longer than two pages and it has mm-hmm. to end there and if i'm not fitting it into that it doesn't matter she has to hang up the phone <laughs> we got to mm-hmm. move on to something else so it's sort of an exercise that ends up being you know part of the propulsion of this movie that keeps pushing 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 um yeah does that answer your question absolutely yeah and um i i, I was nodding along to a lot of stuff uh, that you were saying there uh, because you know i think as writers, a lot of the big concern that I think most of us have is how do we write stuff, something that's long enough, right? You know, we got to put, yeah, we got to get yeah. more words in. And, and sometimes we forget that, you know, sometimes you got to figure, you have to make it a certain length, but everything has to matter in that length. You can't have just right. a whole lot of padding in Interesting. there. Interesting. I find I ha- I struggle with getting it short enough that I mm-hmm. overwrite. Um, but you're saying that in comic book writing, you like, have to try to get enough in there to make it the length that it needs to be. So um, I'm primarily a novelist, although I've started, I've done some comic book oh, work okay. and I'm starting to, um, but with, with a novel, right. You've got a, you got a, you got a word count target you're trying to hit. And it's usually, Oh, like, see, I know, didn't even know that. I thought you could yeah, just write yeah. it. I mean, it's as long as you want it to be, you know, I mean, you can, yeah, yeah, there is, it, it, a lot of it depends on what kind of book you're writing. Like if you're writing more literary fiction or something like that, it's a little bit more free form into how long or how short it can be. Um, but if you're doing stuff and especially if you're going traditional routes, like they've got like set word counts and stuff that target word counts that they want to hit because, um, but like me, I, I'm a I'm a uh, indie published. So for me, uh, but you still want to try to fit in the conventions of the genre. So I write primarily urban fantasy these days, and a lot of those books they'll fall between the fifty thousand to seventy thousand word range for a lot of for a lot of the novels coming out. And what's that um, in page count? It varies based on uh, based on trim size, based on font, but basically you're thinking about roughly maybe 175 to 250 pages somewhere in that okay. range for okay. for those something like that um so so that's kind of like the and like different genres will have different expectations like if you're writing epic fantasy they expect something that's like over a hundred thousand words Long. right yeah 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 so um there are a lot of different expectations that you come with the what the audience expects and all that kind of stuff with <laughs> comic books it's it's um because you're probably the most words you can fit it. You want to shoot for like less than 30 words per panel or so, depending right, on how right. many panels you have on per page. Um, but you also want to make sure you time like the page turns and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, each comic book issue is only like 22 pages for a full issue. If you're going sh- like short stories, then it's like, you know, you're looking like six to eight pages. So it's, it's a lot more, 
in some ways I find writing comics a little bit easier because I like focusing on things like, like dialogue. I hate writing description, but, um, in, in other ways it's more challenging because it's like, okay, I can't just go on for pages about with have two characters talking or something like that. Right. Right. Interesting. Huh? Let me ask you this when you're, I wonder if you had the same, the same uh, thing as me when you're lettering in a comic book, you're like really focused on every word. Mm-hmm. over and over and over again that's what we do in editing and that's something else that's taught me a lot about writing is every word is going to be important on these mm-hmm. so you really need to make sure you're getting the bang for your buck you know like is this conversation is this line of dialogue really important is it essential to the plot is it essential to the character you know for some reason or is it just kind of like fluff you know so we if i'm let yeah, if I'm lettering something that I wrote myself, then I'll just be then I'll think like, okay, do I really need this or can I rephrase this? I do some rewriting as I'm lettering when I'm looking at the the art pages and seeing like, okay, what can I fit in where? Do I have to move stuff around? Um, when I'm lettering stuff that other people wrote, then it's usually I'll have to talk with the editor or um or or the writer if there is no editor. Um and then I'll have to say like, look, there there are too many words for this panel. Can we can we move, can we trim this up a little bit? Can we move some of these words to another panel? You know, you kind of have to go with, you have to go. And sometimes, you know, they're just like, we kind of need to do it all like this. And I've had things, I've had times where I've like struggling to arrange things in just the right way. So you could still see, not cover up too much of the art. Um, Because especially with indie comics, you have a lot of, you know, writers and artists who don't have a lot of experience working in this format. So you'll have something where the writer has written a lot of dialogue or for a panel and the artist has drawn it so that there's like no room in the panel for any words to fit in. Yeah. 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 So you have to, it's a, it's a, it's a juggling act, especially when you're, when you're an independent letterer, it is much easier when you have that editorial control and you can go back and say like, okay, I wrote way too much dialogue for this panel. I can trim some of this out or, this page is looking pretty blank. I really should put some more dialogue or, or some sound effects or something in here to at, make it to, so people aren't just like, you know, wasting money on empty pages. Right. Right. Well, you're just making my point that how important it is to understand like all the steps, the exactly and, yeah. the whole pro- and the end process, because you really need to understand as a, as the artist, you need space mm-hmm. for the words and you really need to understand as the writer don't fill it up too much because we don't want to mm-hmm. cover the art. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the most important lessons I learned from working on comics now in all different areas is you really got to think about what you're putting in for other people. You can't just make yeah, it someone yeah. else's problem. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and it sounds like you've had very similar experiences in a different way with um, working on your films too. Yeah. The, well, and it's specific, sorry, specifically this one, uh, hmm. It's funny because I was all I was the writer and the director, and then I was also the editor, and still I was mad at each other role. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I go to the editor room and I'm like, "Oh my god, the, who was this director? They totally screwed this up. How am I supposed to get from here to here?" Oh man, because no matter how much experience you have, there's still going to be points where, man, you missed that one. <laughs> you I did. Um, I directed it. I directed a, a short film when I was uh, in university, and I definitely had that because I was. I was, um, it was based on a short story a friend of mine wrote, but I wrote the screenplay and then did the, and then directed and then editing as well. And 
we had, sh- it was like only like a 10, 12 minute movie. We shot it over the course of like two and a half days. And, right. um, and it's all basically set in the same location. There's one tacked on epilogue in a different location. But one of the things we noticed is, um, uh, one of the actors, like we told him, you know, we're the same clothes both days. Cause we're going to be shooting in the same place. Right. And the, one of the actors, his, his, he's had a collared shirt and it was kind of unbuttoned a little bit. On the first day, he wore a white T-shirt underneath. And you could see the neckline. On the second day, he didn't wear that. <laughs> then when I'm in the editing room, I'm like, oh, motherfucker. Because <laughs> yeah, by that point, it's too late. <laughs> well, that's why you have a script supervisor and a mm-hmm. and a, and a wardrobe department. But yeah, we did the yeah. same thing because I was, I was the wardrobe. I mean, I didn't come up with the costumes for my movie. We had somebody do that, but she wasn't on set. So I was keeping an eye on that. And mm-hmm. I was also the script supervisor. And it's like a... Dude, any movie is a continuity nightmare. You got to yeah, yeah. what scene you're shooting right now. Where did they just come from? Did this, you know, does she have blood here on this one or not not on this one? Or <laughs> is mm-hmm. this thing on the table moved to here at this point or not? And man, that's the kind yeah, of stuff it, people will notice and you really want to do a good job. But at some point, it's like mm-hmm. you're trying to losing battle. How can you ever yeah. keep up with it? <laughs> yeah. It is. And, you know, it's, especially if you're coming from like a novelist background, you don't really worry so much about that kind of stuff. Cause you don't have to worry about like, you have to worry about like, if you make the character's eyes the same color throughout or stuff like that. But, right. Well, the nice know, thing about most, writing is you can always just go back and change it. it that too. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. It's a lot harder to do that when it's already got the film filming finished. <laughs> um, um, so anyway, uh, now I want to talk a little bit about, cause you said you were a fan, um, even going back before this stuff. So what kind of got you into, into Marvel or into superheroes or comic books in general? Oh, I just love movies. So, uh, what was kind of like your, your introduction to, to comics or to superheroes or what, any of that? Um, truthfully, I never read that many comics when I was a kid. Um, as a teenager, I started like digging into them from the public library, you know, the bigger stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. So I could read more than just one issue at a time. Um, but I was just always real into movies. I loved everything. Sci-fi, horror movies. I loved uh, adventure movies, probably the most. Um, and, you know, at the time, video stores were still real popular. So we would get DVDs mm-hmm. for family movie nights. And I kid you not, I would watch every special feature on every DVD that we rented. Because I just had to know, how are they putting this together? Like, mm-hmm. I wanted to see the behind-the-scenes stunts. And I wanted to see you know, what the script looked like. And I, I just wanted to know all of it. Um, so I always knew that I wanted to work in movies in some capacity when I was in college. That's what I wanted to do. And I kind of gravitated towards post-production because I really like piecing the pieces together, like a big puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a good time doing that. And I think I'm pretty good at it and patient enough to deal with the tedious, you know, workload of that kind of thing. Um, and I just wanted to work on big stuff, man. I wanted mm-hmm. to work on something I could be proud of that I could stick my name on and 20, 30 years from now I could say, Oh yeah, I worked on that one. Oh yeah, I worked on mm-hmm. that one. And, uh, I mean, you can't go much higher than Marvel stuff because they're consistently mm-hmm. putting out two or three big projects a year. So look no further, mm-hmm. but I just really love what they're doing. Um, there's laughs, there's stakes. Um, there's great action, great visual effects. They're getting more experimental now. I think that they're on Disney plus. Um, yeah. I mean, you can look at werewolf by night and it's like, do whoever thought you would watch a, not an hour long black and white monster movie <laughs> that's under the Marvel umbrella. You know what I mean? 
Um, it's, you know, there's something for everybody. If you like magic or if you like sci-fi or if you like more down to earth action movie type stuff, I feel like, you know, they have all of that available to them. So. Yeah, absolutely. Fun. That's one of the things I've always said that Marvel, because for a long time when they were trying to do superhero movies, they, they tended to nail the first movie, right? Cause the, the superhero origin story, it's very easy right. to understand. It's very easy exactly. to fit into the, the, the hero's journey structure. The and Hollywood it's easy loves. to reach a wide audience that way because easy to reach a wide audience. to yeah. connect in a way like this person can now do this thing. Isn't that mm. great to be along for the ride with? Yeah, go on. Yeah. Um, but then after that, you know, and sometimes you've had, you know, really good second movies like Spider-Man 2, X2, yep. um, Batman Returns. Yep. But other times it's just kind of like, okay, we did the hero's journey. Now what do we do? And there's kind of that. Um, totally. Whereas Marvel seems to kind of crack the formula and say like, well, let's not look at superhero as a genre itself. Let's look at superhero as kind of like window dressing for these other genres. So you've right. got like the, yeah. the, the space opera stuff with guardians of the galaxy, which we'll talk about uh, today. You've got the, like you mentioned, werewolf by night, you've got the, you know, the black and white, you know, classic horror angle. You've got, you know, heist movies with Ant-Man and, and yeah. all sorts of things like that. You've got like spy movies and you've got spy World movies, War II yeah. movies and mm -hmm. you've got, it's crazy. Yeah. You really can go into any genre that you want and just say, okay, well, I mean, but we've got a superhero in this one. Yeah. <laughs> even like, even like the, I mean, I loved Spider-Man Homecoming because it's basically like a John Hughes. It's like yeah, a it's John Hughes an made a superhero yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's what's so fun about it. And then, mm -hmm. Then you've got the Avengers, the Avengers movies to cap them off, where it's like all these people you know. Let's put them all together on the page because it's so fun. right. And it's just, man, I still remember what it was like when. I mean, I was working on it, so I couldn't talk to anybody about it. But mm -hmm. I'm sure you had the same experience going to see that Infinity War in the theater when oh, Guardians yeah. show up and the Avengers are here and Ant Man's here and man, all these Doctor Strange is here. It's crazy. Mm. Like I can't believe that they're all just here at the same time it's so wild um yeah, now the, it feels it feels like oh yeah we're used to that <laughs> but yeah yeah i mean i still like i still remember seeing endgame in the theater and when um when they're building up to the big avengers assemble moment i'm just like i'm it's sitting there on the, the edge best. of my seat i'm like it's coming it's coming it's, it's coming it's coming and then and he says it and i'm just like yes and my wife is just looking at me like what is wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> we've been waiting for so long yeah <laughs> oh man that's one of my favorite scenes of all the mcu i just love it so much not because also... everyone shows up but just that moment where it's like mm -hmm. we are the avengers all of us we are the mm -hmm. we're and we're here to make right what was wrong you know well, also the um, you'd mentioned to the Disney Plus stuff and I, WandaVision was really surprising for me because it's, you know, we're we're doing this really weird kind of sitcom -y slash sci fi slash magic mashup together. It was and it was mm -hmm. it was so much fun to watch. And, you know, speaking of those moments when um, when White Vision appeared, like I freaking out and my wife was doing something else at the time. She's like, what is it? What is it? And I'm like, it. it I'll tell you later. I, we, I can't, I can't explain right now. And yeah. later she's like, Oh, I want to see that episode. Cause she had been watching it with me. I'm like, okay. So we go back and we watch it. And then it gets to the end. And she's like, I don't get it. And I'm like, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I had the exact same experience watching that show with my wife, except it was when, um, uh, what's the guy who played the same role in X-Men as her brother. Oh, um, uh, Evan Peters. When he showed up, 
I mm. freaked out like you freaked out. Oh, what does this mean? Oh, I can't believe it. It turned out to be kind of a slap in the face, but still, <laughs> yeah, you can still get that stuff. And um, I think going back to what we were talking about on how they could do different genres or how do they follow up a really good first or maybe even a second movie. And the, the trick is to explore different things not everything Mm -hmm. is world shattering stakes you know sometimes they just go off on a side adventure and maybe it's not the biggest thing that's ever happened but it's big to them it's big to that Mm -hmm. character and that side adventure can explore a lot of things about who they are and where they came from and you know parts about their character um what's the what's the uh animated show what if does that really well Mm -hmm. you've watched those or it's like yeah this is different yeah it means nothing but when you see T'Challa as the same person, even in mm. a completely different environment, to me, that says something about who he is like at his core, you know? Mm-hmm. So even though this story might not matter, it's like, yeah, but look what, look at what his character is. Um, and it was oh, the same absolutely. on a number of characters. Same with Steve, mm-hmm. right? Even when he was the skinny guy and his girlfriend, Peggy, became the super soldier, mm-hmm. they were still in love. It didn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't about that for them. It was deeper than that. And same thing. Even though this story might not matter in the grand scheme of things, you find out interesting things about them. And oh you yeah, never, absolutely. You would never learn, you know, those kinds of things if you just stuck to Avengers movies only. You know. Mm. <laughs> well, also too uh, along those lines, the Guardians is a is a perfect example, and I, we can use this to kind of segue into talking about the the special because the first movie is very much kind of like that that world ending threat type of thing. It it's. I feel it's much more plot driven. And while the second movie has those kind of stakes as well, it feels a lot more personal. The really driving force of that movie, it's not so much, you know, egos trying to take over the universe. The real driving, the real thing that makes me watch that movie over and over again, why I think it's um, a little bit underrated is just all the character work that happens in it. Right. Right. Cause it's not, you're right. I mean, they always throw that stake in there. Like if we don't do Mm this, you know, Nothing's going to be the same. We have to stop it, right. blah, blah, blah. But you're right. The real core is of that story is, oh, man, this is where I come from, and it might not be that great. So who? Mm-hmm. what does that mean for me? Who am I? <laughs> and also I that whole thing about... Yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Now I have to decide if I'm him, if I'm that son, or if I'm somebody different. And then mm-hmm. now that brings in the other father relationship, right? So which father was my real father, you know, who's mm-hmm. my father, who's my daddy. <laughs> is what yeah. Yeah. Uh, well also, and just like the idea of what it means to be a family, like that whole rocket's whole journey. And that is, is one of my favorite parts of that movie, how he goes, the, the change he goes through in that too. Um, and I think this is a, this is a really good uh, segue into talking about the, um, the holiday special, which uh, this is another okay. one you worked on. Hang on there for a second. Then Perry, I got a surprise for you. Don't pause me. Okay. <laughs> All right, Merry Christmas in January, uh, <laughs> you filthy animal, or March, whenever this comes out. Yeah, we're recording in January, but this will be coming out in March probably. And he's I got, got my Christmas um, mug. I got my got Star Christmas Wars mug. Christmas sweater. Got my <laughs> and Santa the, hat for you. And the Santa hat, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk some Christmas stuff. Great, awesome. Um, so you got some uh, behind-the-scenes the experience working on this. So what was it like working on this and then seeing it? 
in, in its finished form. Um, hilarious. The, those guys are so funny. Every single part, every single role, all those actors are just so dialed into those characters. Mm. And it works so well because the script was that way to begin with too. You know, like the banter between them. I try to write stuff like that and I can't. So he, mm. you know, James Gunn just has a knack for coming up with that kind of stuff that's funny, but it's also character driven humor. And um, we could spoil. Are we spoiling this? Yeah, yeah, we can spoil it. Okay. Um, I read that script a year before it came out. And when Kevin Bacon shows up in the script, I couldn't believe what I was, <laughs> I was reading. <laughs> like we're getting Kevin Bacon on this. And I was so bummed when all the trailers had him in it. Like, oh, you know, we should have saved that surprise. I had not even thought I read about it that. Not until, knowing. Yeah. Yeah. I had not even thought about that aspect until just now when you're talking about reading the script. And I'm just like, oh my God, you're right. That would have been such an amazing reveal if they had just kept the Kevin Bacon stuff a secret. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, it's great. You, I have to just think about all the stuff. Oh, I knew the, mu- I heard the, all the music before mm-hmm. um, it came out. There's two original songs in, in the special. Um, one's at the beginning, one's at the end. That's from mm-hmm. the old 97s. I don't know. Do you know that? this is the first i'd heard of them uh was oh, through the special no i'd never heard of them before but um, like i remember a, the... punk, like a rock band in mm-hmm. the 90s that were pretty they had a couple of pretty popular songs okay um, um i remember uh were so catchy man and we mm-hmm. were singing them like to ourselves and i would play that scene over and over again just so i could hear that song because i knew <laughs> as soon as i'm off this project i won't have access to this media anymore and i'm gonna have to wait until it comes out with everyone else to put these on my playlist you know but yeah yeah i remember fun. um watching the watching the special like i'm not a big music guy in general so i don't pay too much attention to music unless it's something that really grabs me or um is something that i recognize so um mm-hmm. and especially with the guardians you've got that whole you know, that built in expectation of like the the awesome mixes from the first two movies and all that. So um, when I heard a lot of songs that I didn't really recognize uh, at the first time I watched it, I just kind of glossed over it. But everybody afterwards, when it came out, everybody was talking about the music. So this time when I rewatched it, I made sure to pay a lot more attention to the music. And yeah, you're right. I'm just like, Oh wow. These are actually really good songs. These are really well done. They're funny. They're well performed. Mm -hmm. Kevin Bacon's a pretty good singer. I think he's in a band anyway. So maybe that's Mm -hmm. why they, they could go with that but um yeah it's fun man they're great and they're gonna be on my christmas playlist for the next 10 years at least mm, every time yeah. it comes up my wife is like wait why do i know this song <laughs> yeah because this was a guardians christmas special song uh. <laughs> <laughs> i think he i think james gunn had talked about that this was sort of an homage to the star wars christmas special right did you read mm-hmm. any of that I had heard something that sounds vaguely familiar. Um, I'd never seen the Star Wars Christmas special, so I I only know know it by reputation. Right. Um, it kind of hits. I mean, here's the thing. It's funny to watch because it's bad, but it gets boring so quickly that mm. it's not even fun anymore. You know, that being said, all this stuff is in there. There's like musical numbers and like weird tangent side quests. And mm-hmm. It's sort of wrapped around not really Christmas. You know, in Star Wars, they call it Life Day, but it's basically, mm. you know, we know what it is. Um, there's whole sections in that movie where there's no English dialogue. It's just Wookiees, like, grunting mm. at each other. 
That's right. It was like the Wookiee version of Christmas or something like that. What is going on? So it's funny that he wanted to make this a musical and like got those songs in there. And uh, yeah, that was great. Um, Yeah. And I'm not sure if um, I'm really maybe, you know, this, maybe you don't. But I'm not I was wondering about what the genesis of this was, because the, um, you know, the 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 Halloween special, the with Werewolf by Night came out, you know, back in uh, in October. Um, So I was wondering if maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but if this was James Gunn had the idea for the holiday special and then Marvel's like, Hey, let's do it. Also one for Halloween as well with werewolf by night. Or if it was Marvel came up with the idea of doing the Werewolf by night thing. And then James Gunn's like, I I would like to do a, a Christmas one with the guardians. I actually don't know where it came from. Um, there might be some clues. If you watch, uh, there's a behind the scenes featurette of werewolf by night. Did you watch mm-hmm. that one? I haven't seen that one. It's real interesting to check out. It's not a typical behind the scenes featurette documentary. It was made by the director's brother. Oh, okay. It's really a documentary about the two of them and their love for film and how they Mm -hmm. were doing this since the time they were little kids. And it goes over um, his career. You know, he was, uh, he wrote music scores. He was a composer for a lot of this Marvel stuff. And I believe that he was just approached by Feige and said, Hey, if you wanted to do something, what would it be? Okay. And that was the thing he picked. He wanted to do werewolf by night. Cause he was a fan of monster movies and he was a mm-hmm. fan of, you know, the monster stuff in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. And I think they just said, okay. So I don't know. I'm guessing maybe they were interested in doing some not series things that could go on Disney plus, And it worked out mm-hmm. that way. That's my guess. But, I really don't know like who decided that it went or if we're going to get more. Hopefully we do. I know that's that's one of the cool things about this is that these are, you know, they're not full movies. They're they don't they don't require they're just, you know, these short 45 minute to an hour specials that. Yeah. And yeah. it's a <clears> lot that's less another... commitment and you can still tell a whole story and you don't have to follow you know, like nine episode season or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it works so well. Like if this was even if this was a full movie, I think maybe even that would have been there would probably been some padding in there. Um, but this is it's nice and lean. It it moves really quickly. Same thing with Werewolf by Night. And it's uh, it was a lot of fun to just, you know, sit and watch for, um, you know, for like under an hour. It's almost more of a graphic novel instead of mm-hmm. a comic book. Right. Where it's just a standalone thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'd say even maybe like you know, like those old one-shot comics they used to do, or something yeah, like that, yeah. where it's just like this one-issue story type of thing. And absolutely, yeah, and it, it really kind of fits in that in that format. And also, I love that they focus it on uh, Drax and Mantis because Mantis, to date, she hasn't had a lot to do in these movies. I mean, she just came right. in the second movie, and right, you it's know, weird how it feels like she's a part of it already, and mm-hmm. in reality, she's only been on screen for like an hour and a half. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she only just joined the t- the team at pretty much at the end of that second movie. Cause you know, for most of the time she's working with ego. Um, and then I guess she was in the, uh, in infinity war for a while. And she was, that yeah, she popped up in, in fight it a little bit. Right. She pops up there. She pops up in, um, in Endgame as well. And she pops up in, in love and thunder at the beginning there. But you know, we haven't really gotten a whole lot of, you know, real spotlight on her like we have with with the with the with the other guardian so it was really nice to see her as and kind of surprising because i was expecting based on you know the previews and just what we'd known of the the other movies that this that you know 
uh, Star-Lord was kind of going to be the, the anchor of this. So I was really kind of pleasantly surprised to see that Mantis and Drax were really the anchor of it. Right, right. Um, it's just fun seeing those two together, too. Mm-hmm. And I know Batista's come out and said he's tired of being Drax just because of the makeup commitment, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like hours to get that stuff on and then hours to get it off every day. But, man, he just cracks me up. Every line of dialogue that he says is so funny. And you're right. Watching them together, especially like the fish out of water stuff in LA, because mm-hmm. we haven't really seen them in the United on Earth. Other yeah, than I mean, Avengers, right? Just yeah, just that brief because they weren't even there in Infinity War. They were on um, on uh, uh, on Titan the whole time. So we only saw them on Earth at that end scene, basically. And then Tony and that's basically that, that could have been anywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's just a exactly. flat terrain of of burnt you know grass. Mm-hmm. So it's fun to see them at a real location flying around like, what is this? Is Kevin Bacon the king? <laughs> All these things. They don't understand how it works. Um, and they really shot at, at the Chinese theater there for a day or two. I remember oh, when yeah? they did that. Um, and there were like pictures leaking online. Oh, they're shooting Guardians of the Galaxy 3 over here right now. Um, that that was yeah, that was a skills. that was a great sequence. I I love that sequence when she sees the guy dressed as Captain America. <laughs> and she's like, Steve! Doesn't give him a hug. Yeah. Did you catch the um, line that GoBots killed? Uh, I did. I, I don't think I caught it the first time, but I definitely caught it this second time. And <laughs> the the I think it was like the last shot of that sequence when they're um, Mantis taking pictures that he, that over the side, there's Drax beating up He's the GoBots. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, so good. What else, what else did you like about that special? Oh, Kevin um, Bacon. Kevin Bacon was just amazing. Like Kevin Bacon is, I, I feel like he's a, he's kind of a, he's kind of underrated in some ways. Um, yeah. And it's, and he's just, I, I love the fact that he's able to, I mean, he, you know, he's mostly known as more of a serious type of actor, but it's cool when he does right. like these little things where he's just, you know, kind of having a fun time. Like, um, yeah. I think the Especially best thing I think fun of at himself. Yeah. 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 Um, I think the, the one that really springs to mind is, um, well, first he had done another James Gunn movie. He was a, the villain in super. And there was a little bit of, oh, of that aspect I of that. I remember that. I only remember rain Wilson and, uh, Page. and Elliot page. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, uh, but yeah, he was in that too. And, um, I, we had done that episode on that and you know, it's, it's funny to go back and watch that after seeing how much Gunn has matured as a as a filmmaker because, you know, you compare it up to Guardians or or Peacemaker and it's just it it's it's a little bit of dis- disappointment because even the writing is not as strong in that as his as his later mm-hmm. works um, would mm-hmm. be, but Kevin Bacon is just on point in that and there's one great scene where he's going to. Um, Rain Wilson's character and you know having breakfast with him and telling him that you know your girlfriend's left you and everything like that and she's with me now and it's just he's at the same time he manages to both be like you know a total asshole but also really kind of oddly friendly at the same time yeah yeah and that's like the kind of thing that I think only Kevin Bacon can really pull off another one of that is do you ever see um crazy stupid love with uh Steve Carell and Julianne Moore yeah, right. so he was in that. He played like the 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 guy that Julianne Moore's cheating on on Steve Carell with, and he also had that same kind of aspect in that movie too. Oh, uh, okay, interesting. Yeah, he's definitely. I think underrated is a good way to put that because you've seen him be dark and scary mm. and also sad. And of course, you go back to Footloose, and it's like Kevin Bacon dancing, man. Mm-hmm. What's better? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I um, love that they just they just had so much 
like great stuff, like meta humor. That's what I that's what I loved probably mm-hmm. the most in this special was talking about actors and how lame they can be and <laughs> <laughs> I'm not realizing that he's just an actor, you know, thinking that he's actually you know, super basically a superhero on earth. Mm. Well yeah, I do love that because it's something that um because now that I think about it, I realize that, you know, he's right. He never really said that it was a movie it, when when he was talking about Kevin Bacon in the previous films. He was just talking about how, you know, there was a great hero named Kevin Bacon and all this. I, and it, part it's, of me wonders what the character of Star-Lord really knows or thinks. Like, does he realize that was a movie or was he too young to, like, put that together? He must understand that. I mean, I think that's a good point. I, I think it's just maybe he's just told these stories so much that it's just become, you know, like when you're in his mind. Yeah, totally yeah, romanticized. Yeah, like I'm. Uh, I mean, I I know that's you know how how my dad would get when he would tell stories about like you know his past or things about his dad or so. I I think that's that's kind of an aspect of it as well. Or is it get to the point that he uses that story like as a motivation for himself or to teach other people a lesson, and he's done it so many times that. He just lets it live almost as a myth. I think, you know, yeah, there's, cause I mean, point. there's, yeah. Cause there's the whole thing in, in the second movie where he talks about how he told everybody that, um, David Hasselhoff was his father. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and we're to the point where he even still has the, the torn out magazine picture of him in his wallet. And right. then at the end, when he get when he's given the, the oddly beautiful eulogy at Yondu's, uh, funeral, when he says, you know, you know, David Hasselhoff kind of was my, my dad in a lot of ways. And right. yeah, and I think, yeah, I think, um, there is something to that, that he's, and I imagine it cause he spent all his life in space basically. And his me- probably didn't have enough time to form as much strong memories about like his, his family and all that. So it's kind of mixed in with, you know, the stuff mm. he, he knew as a child. So I think there's definitely something to that. He idealizes it when he remembers. Mm-hmm. Right. Same yeah. With holding on to the music that he does. The biggest laugh I remember for Guardians 2 was uh, the Mary Poppins line. Yes. Yeah. Where he tells him, You look like Mary Poppins. <laughs> and he's like, Is it Mary Poppins? Is he cool? He's like, Yeah, he is. I wonder if the same kind of thing, like, he just lets them hear these names and it doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything to them, but he, like, puts meaning on it for them. And then, you're right. He just never tells them the truth. So they go about mm. thinking, oh, this is like real because that's the world they come from. People do save the world or people do save the galaxy. So right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember um, in uh, when Infinity War came out and there was some discussion about I can't remember if it was the Russos who said this or, or someone at Marvel was talking about that that scene when the Guardians first appear and, you know, they're playing the song and, you know, Gamora is kind of like singing along with it and Groot's playing the video game and all that. And one of the ideas was that Peter is kind of like infected the rest of the guardians with the things that, you know, he had always told them about earth. Yeah. 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 And you, you also see some of that in guardians too, when um, rockets always interested in playing Quill's music. He he even says like when they're breaking out of the ship, he's like, you got any of Quill's old songs here? Yeah. That's funny. Good point, man. See, I think a lot of that is just James Gunn having mm-hmm. a real grasp of what this is and who these characters are and, you know, like what's happened to them in between the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it, it makes so much sense, too, because I think about, you know, 
what it was like for me growing up, what it was like for what it's going to be like for my kids growing up. Because, you know, I grew up in a house where, you know, my parents didn't care about comic books or sci-fi or anything like that, but my dad loved James Bond. And so that stuck with me throughout my life as a result of that. Whereas my kids, you know, they're going to grow up with like all this nerd shit around them everywhere. Like they are already being exposed to, to superhero stuff a lot more than, than other kids in the neighborhood are. Yeah. And then when they're adults, there'll be something new out there for them to get nerded out over. Right. And exactly. Yeah. They'll only remember, you know, tangentially mm-hmm. the superhero stuff that my dad was obsessed with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I but it is kind of, it, but... it is kind of that <laughs> thing it where it, right. But it is that thing where, you know, they, it's, it becomes part of their, their background almost. And I think you kind of see that with Quill and the guardians here too. It's, which is why they have all this this high opinion of Kevin Bacon, and then when they find out the reality that he's just an actor, they get so yeah. angry. Um, okay, so what did you think was going to happen when Quill opens the present with Kevin Bacon inside? Um, on the edge of your seat, like waiting, or did you have? Oh man, a prediction. I had a, I had kind of. I it it played out pretty much how I expected. Um, you know, the whole thing, it's like, this you, you can't just kidnap a person and get and wrap them up as a present. Like that, that whole aspect, I, I thought that made, it made a lot of sense. Cause there's, cause you know, as much as, you know, Chris Pratt plays, plays Quill as, you know, kind of, you know, loose and, you know, goofy and all that. He is also in a weird way, the moral center of the team and kind of like, right, and right. kind of grounds them. So it, it, his reaction is pretty much what I expected. It, you know, that he'd be like, you know, kind of horrified about what they did. <laughs> it's funny that it's, uh, yeah, you're right. It's almost like he's the dad to this whole family. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And all of them are children and none of them realize about consequences or what's allowed and what's not allowed or what's mm. too far. <laughs> but he has to be the one to tell them, no, this is not okay. Oh, one of the things I did love is I'm not sure if you've ever read any of the Guardians of the comic, Guardians. Uh, comics um especially like the 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 dan abnett steve um abnett and lanning run that these movies are kind of inspired by uh but one of one of the things i got a kick out of is that cosmo is there yes yeah yeah totally uh i'm not going to talk about cosmo with you feel me another question (laughs) (laughs) fair enough Um, some territory that was a little dicey for me. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. We don't want you to to spill anything and get you in trouble. Uh, but I just that that's just as me as I'm just going to leave it on that, saying that I just love seeing that Cosmo was in this and they even had um, kind of I'll that little this. rivalry with Rocket. It seems like Gunn really has read all that stuff because he throws that kind of stuff in all the time, like mm-hmm. when Howard the Duck shows up or when the yeah the Watchers show up. You know, all these things are just throwaway jokes that it's clearly mm. he knows he knows like there's more universe here and oh yeah he knows we know that and man it's just fun to plug that stuff in. well even in uh guardians of the galaxy 2 when he had the the movie poster with nathan fillion as wonder man <laughs> that kind of stuff like that's another deep cut <laughs> there um and, and yeah yeah so i loved i love seeing cosmo in there um i i, I thought it was funny seeing jacked groot too <laughs> oh yeah so <clears throat> If you've watched the other, if you've seen anything from behind the scenes before, you know that's just a person in a mo caption, motion caption okay, suit. Okay, yeah. And you get um, really used to seeing somebody just dressed up, you know, in the pajamas mm-hmm. with the dots on them and stuff. 
but you never really know what they're going to look like. And that was a surprise to me. I thought he would be kind of taller and skinnier like that because that's how we know him once he's full grown adult. <laughs> yeah. I remember people actually complaining about that online um, that, you know, about what they did to Groot. I thought it was, it was kind of a neat little way to kind of differentiate him. Cause first we had, you know, we had the, the original Groot in the first movie right. and then we had baby Groot in the second one. We had teen Groot in the, the Avengers films. And now we're getting, you know, young twenties. Vin Diesel Groot. Yeah, I guess like maybe this is like him in his early twenties, like hitting the gym too much or something. Yeah. Uh that's good stuff. Um yeah, it's funny. It's it's strange to get that is one thing that's different working on my job is you get used to seeing the stand-ins. You know, it's not mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper and it's not Vin Diesel there, obviously. It's other people. You know, Rocket is played by uh Sean Gunn, his brother. Right, yeah, yeah. And Sean's obviously a different part in the guardians franchise too. So he's like there physically as well, but it's mm-hmm. funny watching him. Like he crawls around on his knees and stuff to be rocket. So the eye lines are right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I've seen some of the behind the scenes stuff with him, like crawling around and, uh, and all that. Um, that was another thing. I love that, that scene when he, he rocket says to, to Kevin Bates, like, don't worry, we're not going to hurt you. He's like, that's a raccoon. That's a talking raccoon. And then rocket's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> There, it's just great, man, that every character is so well-defined that when you mm-hmm. hear a line of dialogue, even without the voice actor, you would know, like, who said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And that's In what fact, makes those jokes work, is you I know believe... Rocket's sensitive about that, and that's exactly how he would act. It's been so well-defined. And I could be wrong, but I believe they'd said that with Infinity War, they actually had gun do like rewrites on the guardians dialogue just to make sure it sounded authentic to them yeah that's right he did and um i don't remember him ever being there but it did feel like i, I was on set for some of that stuff it did feel like a guardians movie right in front of you it did and yeah. there's more dialogue than than made it into the final movie which is sad because some of that stuff is just so so funny oh but man because i don't think feel... any of that stuff was on the the edited scene the deleted scenes or anything like that i would love to see no more i never stuff. saw it again yeah. um <clears throat> maybe you never will but there's just a real clearly defined way that he writes his team banter i mm-hmm. guess that's what you call it everyone's playing yeah. off everyone everyone has something to say you know and it's all funny <laughs> and mm-hmm. it all comes from a, a place of character that's what makes it great well so i i liked that you know talking about sean gunn i really like the the role that craglin played in this because it 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 served a few different purposes you know obviously there's just the very plot purpose of getting them to to go off to earth and find kevin bacon but there's also this it it tells us a little bit more about shows a little bit more about this because he's known pete long longer than anyone else in that team now and so it's nice to see that that kind of reflected a little bit that almost like kind of brotherly aspect they have um yeah, because right at, right at the start, you get to see them, you know, young Quill. Mm-hmm. And they're doing like some Christmas tradition stuff together, maybe new Christmas tradition stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. They have had a long relationship. It's almost like they're trying to fill that hole that Yondu left, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe it's not going to be the father figure, but it could be like a brother figure that you're seeing. Yeah. Well, that that's one of the things I liked about the second movie is that that end scene um, between the two of them when, you know, when uh, Craglin gives him the um, 
the uh, the Zune that says that Yandu wanted you to have this, and then you know, and then uh, Pete gives him the Yandu's arrow, and you know, mm-hmm. that it, it it did feel like a big moment because it's this aspect of you know they both lost a father here, right, right, and both of them viewed him as a father in different ways. Exactly, so you're right. Yeah. That does make sense really well. Good, um, so good, I good take. I didn't catch that before. Thank you. Um, uh, Credit really goes to Gunn because he's able to. I I really realized this when with on my second rewatch of Peacemaker when we covered it on the show is just like uh, on first watch with with something that Gunn does. I think you're very focused on kind of like the surface level stuff, like you know Mm -hmm. the the witty banter and the you know the the situations and all that. And then when you're watching these things more than once, you realize, oh wow, there is a lot of really intelligent really thought out character work I play here. Right. Right. That's what makes it great because you can watch it again and you find more, but Mm -hmm. even without, even without watching it the second time, you feel that there's a subtext going on Mm -hmm. all the time that they're not just people saying lines, but they're people speaking from the heart in some way, Mm -hmm. you know, that they're lying, what they're saying is specific to them and nobody else can say that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. Any other things you really wanted to mention here about uh, the Christmas special? Um, let's see. I think we talked about pretty much all of it. It came in at a good length, right? Mm-hmm. Do you give this a thumbs up, thumbs down as a Christmas uh, entry into the Christmas canon for movies? Oh, I definitely like. I'm so uh, yeah. I got to give a little bit of a uh, disclaimer here. I am not a fan of Christmas movies. Like, oh, you know, get I- out of here. Yeah, I, <laughs> I've never been a big Christmas fan in general. So like, you know, my favorite, I, I like the Christmas movies that don't feel like Christmas movies, like Die yeah, Hard, okay. Batman Returns. So, or yeah. even like, I mean, the, the, the closest I come to like having a, a Christmas movie that's an actual Christmas movie that I like is probably National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation or Bad okay. Santa, right? So it's like these people you know, who hate Christmas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I thought this was, I mean, for someone who hates Christmas movies and thinks they're very kind of hokey, I thought I really enjoyed this. Nice. So I will well, say then, that it's an easy entry into your into your Christmas. It's an easy canon. one, yeah. <laughs> because it's a small list, anyways. That's okay. How about I you? Respect that. Oh yeah, I love this one. Um, I don't know if I'm going to put it on every year, but you could definitely revisit the one this one, especially because mm-hmm. it's not a full thing. You know, it's like what you said; it's a one shot. So yeah. In a, in a in a weird way, this is almost fits in with a lot of the Christmas movies where they work just in the background. Like you could have this mm-hmm. on and kind of check in, check out. Oh, and, absolutely. And uh, I mean that fits with everything Christmas to me. Mm-hmm. What Christmas movies are like you don't need yeah. to sit and watch the whole thing. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think yeah, you could easily have this on when you're like in the background wrapping presents or have it on the background of Christmas dinner or, or whatever yeah, kind of yeah. stuff you're, you're doing. I think, yeah, I think definitely you could do that. Um, and even like, like we were talking about the music too, because again, I'm not a big fan of Christmas music, but I could see myself playing these songs uh, around Christmas time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You got it. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, also this is kind of related. It's not specifically about this, but I'm not sure if you'd, and this has just come up in the news recently, uh, coincidentally, like I think yesterday or, but I was reading this article and Gunn said actually that he felt that Rocket was really kind of like the, the main character of the, the Guardians franchise. Um, mm. And and I realized when I, because Rocket has been my favorite character in these movies. 
Um, I think he was, he was kind of like my favorite even going into them too. Cause I've read the, I loved him in the comics as well. And, you know, I think, you know, Bradley Cooper does a wonderful job in all of them, but I really started thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, Rocket really does go through a lot of growth in these movies. Uh, I'm not sure if you had any take on what he had said about that. Hmm. Let me think about that. As someone who has only seen parts one and two in the Christmas special, mm-hmm. I think I would still vote Quill as the main character only because mm-hmm. he's the, he's the one that we identify with the most. I think mm-hmm. he's the earthling thrown into a weird place and everyone else seems to like come into his sphere of influence mm-hmm. and um, I think him and Rocket are like both sides of the same coin though. You know Absolutely. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like they have very similar paths in that they don't really know where they came from. They never really had a home and now they're part of this family and they're both sort of the captain of the ship and they both are mm-hmm. very capable of doing the same things. And in that way, they're really similar and even their character types are similar, you know, like they're both kind of wise cracking and, Mm-hmm. no nonsense and they're both goofy and and make jokes but also they don't like to get messed with and they don't mm-hmm. like people messing with their family you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so it, it is fun to watch them kind of fight for that spot a lot of times they're at odds with each other in a in a loving way almost mm-hmm. um and when they hurt each other they really hurt each other you know yeah like yeah family members hurt each other and they have to come back from that um, but maybe that will change in the future. I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, I also, I also think it was what you said there really reminded me of the, the first and second movies, how you're right. It, they're, they both have those similar backgrounds. And one of the things I think that they kind of diverge a little bit on is Peter almost seems like someone who's always searching for a family, whereas rocket seems mm-hmm. to be more like running away from the idea family. Uh, so I thought that was a, yeah. that was, an, that right, was another interesting dichotomy I realized. He's the one who's most reluctant to be a part of this. And right. he's yeah. the one yeah. who's the last person to put his hand in the circle. And he's like, mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Totally. So yeah, that, yeah. Cause mm-hmm. Quill is the one who wants to be there and he's happy with what he has and he doesn't want to change. Right. He wants mm-hmm. Gamora back and he wants all these things. Um, Rocket's the one who's like, this is all going to end because it always does. And I don't and I really think, want to get attached because I think I that really, yeah. And I think that really comes to a head in Endgame when he has lost them. And one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when he, he and Thor are in Asgard and, you know, he, he reads Thor the riot act, right. And he's telling him like, you know what, I need you to get it together so that I can get my family back. Right. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, after, you know, fighting against the idea of having a family so long and then having it once he finally starts to accept it, having it torn away from him. Um, and we didn't get to see a lot of him in this. He just, you know, appears, you know, basically yeah, in a few scene, scenes here and there. Two. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm really interested to see what they do with him in the third movie and seeing how his character grows or even starts off in that movie compared to what happened to him in Endgame. Yeah, you're right, because character wise, when we last left him, he had just decided, you know what, this is going to be my family <laughs> mm-hmm. by losing them. Right. Um, so, so last thing, be, 
good. Yeah. And totally. also on, on the family aspect, uh, the whole idea of Mantis and, and Pete being uh, siblings. What did you think of that as kind of like the through line of this? It's been so long since I found that out. I almost forgot that it was in this special that that reveal happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, did we not know that at the end? No, of part two? no, no. I mean, all we knew is that, you know, she had said that she was raised by ego. So I think, but mm-hmm. there was never any sort of, I don't remember any sort of even hint that she was one of ego's children. Got it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it makes sense and it's mm-hmm. not, it doesn't feel like a retcon to me. Right. Because, oh yeah, she was raised. So why couldn't it be that? I right. wonder like when he decided that that was going to be the case. Um, I think it, it's fine. <laughs> it has a different, it has a different dynamic to where they could go with that relationship in the future. Yeah, I think nice it also he reacted the way he did. Right, she was so mm-hmm. worried about telling him, and then it turns out he gave the right reaction. It's sort of like when you're afraid to talk to something, you know, have a serious conversation with a loved one because you don't know mm-hmm. how they're going to react, and when you finally do it, it turns out you may have been worried about something you shouldn't have been because their reaction is what it should be. Right. They love you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think it also, I also don't know if I call it a retcon because there wasn't anything really before to. Right. Saying uh, anyone one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I, it was a little bit, I'm just like, Oh, that's interesting. Um, and I think about it, it does make a little bit more sense why she's ends up sticking with the guardians and why she ends up helping them in the first place. Um, because it's not like that turn made no sense in the second movie, right? She's, you know, there's this whole idea of she has started to develop a bond with these people and she's worried because of what she knows what's coming. So it it made sense in the context of that movie. But now that you find out that she's actually Peter's sister, it adds a new dimension to that, I think. Why, why did she have to tell him now though, I guess? Because how long has it been that they've been flying around? It's, it's been a few years now, actually. Yeah, (laughs) that's a good point. (laughs) This is the moment. Uh, um, but maybe that's just because we need it. We need to see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, I like the reveal nonetheless. I thought it, it worked for, and it adds that other dimension to Mantis's motivation throughout this. And I got to say like Pom Clementef, it was great to see her really kind of shine in this and really kind of mm-hmm. like, I mean, you know, we, we already know Dave Bautista is great as Drax. We've seen him in, you know, two movies. We've seen him, you know, I, I just saw uh, Glass Onion recently. He was great in that as well. Oh, so um, good. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was really cool to see. And, I, and her interactions with Drax in the second movie were were some of my favorite scenes in that movie. So it was nice to see a little bit more of them and to also see uh, Clementef really kind of get a, a chance to shine in this in this special. Yeah, because it's weird. We were kind of talking about that before. She hasn't had that much screen time and yet she mm. kind of feels like She's always been there, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you're right. This time we got to see her angry for the first time, right? She mm-hmm. never really got there before. And kind of mean sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Even though she's an empath, she's got her own feelings to to get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's... And that's what I think is the nice thing about the, the Disney Plus stuff is not only does it give us the chance to do, like, these one-shot things, like the holiday special... But it also gives a chance to focus on these other characters, because I think if the special had been focused on 
on Peter, it may have been kind of a missed opportunity where, cause we get Peter all the time in the movies. So being able to focus more on uh, Mantis here, just like, you know, WandaVision got to focus on those characters. You know, we got Hawkeye being able to focus more on Clint and see more of his mm-hmm. life and more of what he's like. All of this, it, I really like that these shows are giving us a chance to to focus in on these characters who maybe don't get the spotlight in the movies all the time. So as someone who didn't read a ton of comics, isn't that kind of the model? Has it always been that way? Like you'll have a, another character and they'll get like a short run of issues, mm. but it's not like long ongoing stuff. It varies. Um, there have been different like it, it really kind of depends on what the publishing landscape is at the time, but you've definitely had things like that where you'd have like, you know, a Hawkeye limited series that ran for like four or six issues or something. You had the vision yeah. and Scarlet witch series. I think they had two of them actually that were like each like 12 issues a piece or something like that. Um, other times you would just have like, you know, instead of you might have like an issue or something in the, in the regular Avengers comic devoted to like one character or like a, a like one of my favorite ones is, Hawkeye and, and Ant-Man teaming up together. And it was just like this mm. one issue story, which is where the famous scene in civil war comes from with him shooting Ant-Man on the arrow. Um, okay. And, and sometimes you'll get like those little spotlight issues focusing on one or two characters. Um, so it, it's a mix. Sometimes you get like whole titles or limited series. Sometimes you just get like a spotlight within the title itself. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great. It's, it's fun because if you're just a fan of the movies, you can still just go watch the movies. But mm-hmm. if you want that supplemental content, it's there for you. you know? Right. Gives you a deeper understanding of the characters and their relationships and all that. And it's not necessarily required. And I, I wonder if they're going to keep keep that up. Yeah, you know, I you think could it, watch it, Doctor Strange without having seen WandaVision and still kind of get you know what had happened. Right. Yeah. Or um, uh, you could watch Black Widow and and you get the little stinger to Hawkeye, but you can actually skip Hawkeye and probably go straight to Thunderbolts, which he's going to be in next. Um, mm. Yeah. And it's, um, it's, or like, you know, you, we saw Kang it in Loki and now he's going to be in quantum mania. You could probably watch quantum mania without seeing Loki and still right. get the gist of it. But if you've watched Loki, then you're going to be like, Oh yeah, that guy, I remember him. Right. You have some more context that. Right. Else might. And I do wonder, and I don't know the answer to this, but how much, are the shows going to be important to the movies and vice versa? It's we'll a good see, question. Guess. Yeah. Guess we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so um, far they've all kind of been disconnected anyways, you know, cause mm-hmm. in a way their origin stories, even for Hawkeye, I mean, I know it takes place after, but in a way it's kind of an origin story again for him. And also and, for, uh, for Kate as well. And for her. Right. Yeah. So it's easy to tell, keep those disconnected, right? Because there's no reason for them to be together yet. Right, yeah. What's going to happen when there is more tissue there? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I do. (laughs) I kind of liken this phase of Marvel so far to kind of like, it it feels very similar (laughs) in idea, at least, to to phase one, where we're just kind of like being introduced to these characters. Right, yeah. So we're getting introduced to all these new characters or characters that we didn't get to see a lot um, the first go around. So we get to see more, more of Wanda and Vision. We get to see... Um, a little bit more of Doctor Strange. We get to be introduced to new characters like like Shang Chi and um, and uh, Ms. Marvel and all these other ones. So it's it'll be really cool to see because 
once we got that first, we when we got at the end of Iron Man, we knew where that first phase was going. We knew it was going to Avengers. Then once we got mm-hmm. Thanos at the end of that, we knew eventually we were going to get to the Infinity Gauntlet. And now we know we're eventually going to get to to Secret Wars. But there is also kind of like it's this fun period of discovery where they can, you mm-hmm. know, go off and explore these different areas. And, I, and I'm right. really excited about that. Good. I'm glad you feel that way. The big complaint I've seen online is, oh, none of it's connected anymore. There's no direction. I don't know though. It's kind of like you got to set these you got to set these up so mm-hmm. that it means something more when they show up again later, you know. Well, also, I mean, like I'm also a fan of the idea of even though it's a shared universe, not everything has to be a chapter in a larger story. It is kind of fun right. to just have these stories taking place in this same universe and maybe having some connective tissue between them uh, as opposed to, you know, watching you don't have to watch Shang-Chi to be able to understand Multiverse of Madness. And I think that's fine. I, in fact, I think that's right. actually that's actually better. And you're not putting that much pressure on, on a lot of the, the viewers. But I think it is also... it. I, I like it. I like it. I think there is... The people who... I mean, it's it's the internet, so you're always going to have people who complain no matter what. But I right. think it's 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 fine. I mean, I, I'm enjoying it. And I'm... I give Marvel a lot of leeway just because you know, they've, I, I grew up a, a Marvel kid. So anyways. yeah. And they've had such a good track record. And, you know, I mean, I, I remember growing up as a kid, the, the closest thing we had to a big budget Marvel movie was the generation X TV film. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited that we're getting this stuff that is done by people who actually seem to give a shit about the comics right. and, and where they came from. And, they and care about yeah, where it came from and they care about making a good product so that they can keep right. doing this. Yeah. I mean, you can quibble here and there about, you know, some stuff about it. Um, but overall, I enjoy a lot more of Marvel than I dislike. So I'm I right. mean, I'm always gonna give and I'm I'm always gonna give Kevin Feige the benefit of the doubt because for my money, he is barely steered me wrong up until now. So I'm gonna I'm I'm here for the long long haul. Totally. You and me both, brother. Awesome. Okay, Rick. Um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And why don't you remind people once more where they can uh, check out your stuff? Yeah, thank you. This was great. Uh, my movie that just came out, The Bank Heist, that you're going to want to check this out. It's really good. Uh, it's called Solid Rock Trust. You can watch it free on Tubi. You can find it on Amazon Prime. Oh, sorry. No, Amazon as a rental. You can find it on Google Play and YouTube movies. It'll be on more places soon. But check the show notes because that link in there will be updated with all the different places you can watch it. Plus the trailer and, you know, all our social medias, if you want to keep up with us, but that would be great. I'd love for you guys to check it out. Awesome. And um, if you can, if, you know, I don't want you to say anything to get you in trouble, but is there anything you're working on now that you can talk about? Um, I can tell you not Marvel stuff that I'm working on. That's fine. Uh, I just finished a documentary, which is, following one of the first American skateboarders in the Olympics, okay. the 2020 Olympics, which actually took place in 2021. His name is Jake Alardi. Um, so that was in Japan, right? Yep. Yep. You were there for it. I, I was in oh. Japan, but I was not at the Olympics. <laughs> nobody. Well, nobody was. <laughs> was uh, this documentary is so cool. It's like part skate doc and part, you know, Nat Geo's, sports documentary feel good stuff mm-hmm. and the cinematography is great and the music is great and it's real good like 
small town kid makes good story. Um, hopefully when that comes out, you guys keep an eye out for that. Um, Do you know around when it's going to be coming out? I don't. I don't. Okay. I edited I was the editor on this movie and finished it a year ago, but they had so much trouble with the Olympic brand. Right. Yeah. Figure out how to make that work. So I believe it's coming out this year. Hopefully that'll be soon. And then um, if I have free time, I'll be trying to shoot another movie this year. Maybe we could talk about that next time. Absolutely. I was, I was just Uh, about to say, um, you know, come back on next time you want to talk about something. So solid rock trust was a bank heist. And I wanted to take all the rules of a bank heist and kind of flip them on its head and still serve you everything that you, that you need from one of those movies, but do it Mm -hmm. in a way you've never seen before. I think that's my goal again. And we're going to try to do hopefully a horror movie with the same premise. I mean, not a prison in a room, but the Mm -hmm. idea that we have these tropes we need to hit and we're still going to try to hit those, but we're going to do it in a way that is fresh. So very cool. Very cool. Keep it. Okay. We will. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, we'll have to have you come back on again to talk about about that stuff when it when it when it's ready. Yeah. Thank you, Perry. Best of luck. Thank you. Uh, And that does it for this episode of Superhero Cinephiles. SuperheroCinephiles.com is the website. Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And remember, if you join the the Patreon group for as little as a dollar a month, you can get these episodes a week in advance and you also get access to the, the book club episodes, which is about once a month, we do an extra episode about comic books and graphic novels. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.